Hello and welcome to Accent of Woman. I'm Ayan Shirwa. The Minister for Indigenous Australians, Ken Wyatt, recently announced plans to introduce an Indigenous voice to Parliament. Some embraced the news as a positive step towards self-determination, while others were more sceptical. So, what is a voice to Parliament? And how is it different from treaty? On today's episode, we ask former Greens MP Lydia Thorpe what she thinks about an Indigenous voice to Parliament and also get updates on Victoria's treaty negotiations. But first up, who is Lydia Thorpe? I'm a Gunai Gunajimara woman. I belong to the Brakalung and Brebulung clans of the Gunai and the Jafarung clan of Gunajimara. And I was the first Aboriginal woman in the Victorian Parliament. And I think most of us um, know Lydia, the MP, but not everyone knows that you've been in the trenches doing the work forever. Can you tell us a bit about your early years? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been, you know, I come from a very strong uh, matriarchal line from the Japarung Gunchamara people. Uh, so my grandmothers for, you know, decades have fought for our people's rights and fought for our, our land. And so I know nothing different. You know, it's, it's, it's in um, our DNA to continue to protect country and, and protect the rights of our people. Um, so I've always been around conversations of, you know, family and, and community and activists of how we're going to maintain our resistance and our survival in this country. Um, you know, I've attended uh, rallies since I was five years of age. Um, and now I have my granddaughters, uh, who were five, uh, attending rallies today. Mm. Um, I've fought for, for country. I've um, set up blockades to protect, you know, million-year-old rock on um on my country in, in Nauanaua, where we had uh, the Eastern Gas Pipeline try and um, put explosives through sacred sites, mm. um, and where I stood, stood my ground and um, had the direction from my old people to protect that part of the country. Uh, and it's the only bend in the pipe from Longford to, to Sydney as a result. So I've always been um, in positions whether paid or, or not, um, where it was about the, the betterment of my people and my land. Last year, the Victorian Parliament passed a bill to kickstart treaty negotiations. What is this bill and what's happened since? Lydia explains. Uh, yeah, look, it was um, quite an exciting time for our people when you know, we had a statewide meeting of around 300 Aboriginal people in attendance. Uh, the government came to talk to us about constitutional recognition and our support for it, and it was unanimously rejected at that point from the people um, who said, no, we don't um, support any form of constitutional recognition. We want to talk about treaty. So that was February 2016, and from that time... A discussion, you know, was was um, formed around treaty and a way forward, and a working group was established, uh, which wa- which I was a part of before I was a member of parliament, mm. and. 
in between time, I somehow got elected into Parliament and ended up um, being in a position to negotiate a stronger piece of legislation um, for the treaty process. One of the most disappointing um, parts of that debate was the, you know, at my position, and that came from my people, was that we wanted our sovereignty um, acknowledged and recognised by the state of Victoria, and that was um, rejected by both sides of of politics, you know, Labor and um, the LNP mm. to acknowledge our sovereignty. So that's something that isn't in the legislation, and nor is the need for a um, an elders council that was representative of our people. That was uh, unanimously, besides the three Greens in Parliament, um, that was also rejected. So, you know, when it came to finally passing that legislation, it was, you know, I felt quite compromised as a, as a sovereign black woman um, that, you know, we were put in a position to pass a piece of legislation that was denying our sovereign status as First People. Mm. Um, so it wasn't an easy decision, but um, we, you know, decided to support it. But, but once we um, made that decision... You know, we knew that the fight was going to be very difficult to try and strengthen the legislation and the process for our people. So that's been the, the journey since. Mm. Um, and, you know, we're, we're forever trying to strengthen it to ensure that um, we have the 38 or, you know, there's, there's about 35 to 38 nations in Victoria and the Treaty Commissioner um, through the government has decided to have reserved seating for only 12 of those nations out of out of the 38. Mm. So it's been a you know it has been a constant battle um, and of course we don't have the resources on our side to, to you know run a, uh, a campaign um, but we've certainly been doing our best to um, you know be advocates for those nations that have been excluded. We're going up against a machine that's that's very well resourced, um, and you know, getting around the state um, with their model of treaty, mm. and um, yeah, so that so that's basically where it's yeah. at right now. And there are elections um, happening where there are there are thirty three seats in total. 12 have reserved seating, as I've mentioned, but the remainder of seats will go out to a Aboriginal vote. So people need to enrol on the Aboriginal roll to be able to have a vote. And so those excluded nations mm. will have to participate in this Aboriginal um, vote to get a seat now. You know that that's just not going to happen. We will not have a truly representative body based on on that because you have to run a campaign, um, and you have to get people you know enrolled to vote to to um, to win a seat. Mm. And I know that they've been struggling to get people to enrol. I know the numbers are less than a thousand. We have 60,000 Aboriginal people in Victoria and 30,000 eligible voters. And, you know, 
where they have under a thousand people enrolled. So it's a very flawed yeah. process. I, I can't understand why they just didn't give reserve seatings to all nations and allow those nations mm. to self-determine their own representatives. That's how we've done business since the beginning of time. Yeah. So that's the way, um, you know, that's our democratic process mm. that has survived, you know, invasion and um, who've, who've resisted participating in this colonial mm. um process of or democratic process that doesn't fit with us as a people. And there's that issue where people think it's a monolithic community and that's why they're more likely to include a certain number of voices instead of everyone. That's right. And and it's a you know, it's it's even more frustrating that other states are now coming out saying that they want to start a treaty process with their communities and they're modelling it off the Victorian um, process, which is completely flawed. So, um, you know, Queensland government have just announced their tracks to treaty. They're talking about an eminent group of, of Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal people um, on, a, on a body and then they're talking about it setting up a working group. Um, and if you go back to the Victorian model... You know, it was the government who decided who was on the working group. So it, it kind of um, flies in the face of self-determination. It flies in the face of, you know, the, the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, mm. um, where we self-determine our own representation through processes that we determine. Um, and we're subjected to this top-down approach from government deciding for us who's going to represent us in the most important talks that this nation needs to needs to have. So it is disappointing. Um, and, you know, I know that um, a lot of our people won't participate because of, because of how it's been rolled out. Right. So the other point to make, you know, in terms of the Victorian treaty legislation is um, I fought really hard uh, to negotiate that the the UN Declaration of the Rights of Indigenous People was inserted into the legislation Mm -hmm. and the the Minister for Aboriginal Affairs at the time, Natalie Hutchins, would not entertain that idea and therefore the, um, the drip, as we call it, uh, is is in the preamble. So it's you know it's part of the the preamble and not in the body of the legislation, which means it's it's weak. Mm. And um, if our rights aren't adhered to in the body of the legislation, then that you know that allows for these kinds of processes to continue. And another potential exciting um, development is that Ken Wyatt recently announced a three-year plan to create a voice to parliament. As you know, a voice is one of the reforms that was suggested in the Uluru Statement from the heart. Um, So this is a two-parter question. Um, The first question is, what would a voice mean? A voice wouldn't mean much at all, uh, actually, and it it won't have any power. It's an advisory body. And remember, this constitution that this this um, government is based on 
is illegitimate from our people's eyes. It's been enforced on us mm. uh, and it's oppressed us for, you know, since it was founded in 1901. So it's not something that we um, have been a part of or want to be a part of until we settle this, this unsettled country through a proper treaty process. An advisory body or a voice as the advisory body, you know, that's not that doesn't mean land, mm. that doesn't mean resources, it won't have any legislative power, and it's it's basically a, a tokenistic gesture right. to put us into a constitution and call us Indigenous Australians. I think it's a perfect um, tool or mechanism to completely assimilate us as first people mm. and negate any chances of having a proper treaty. I found the term um, consensus option in a referendum. Um, I found that a bit problematic in that if it was put to a referendum, it would be the broader community deciding for the Indigenous communities. Absolutely. It will be 97% of the Australian population and... You know, I don't think that that's fair when we haven't had consensus as first people in this country. And those grassroots voices aren't being heard. They're being shut down. Um, you know, we don't have the, the resources to campaign against it. And when we have, um, you know, we're immediately shut down. And the Refer Referendum Council does not talk about um, the many, many thousands of Aboriginal people across the country who have rejected any form of constitutional recognition. Mm. They continue to run with their agenda and it's, um, yeah, it's another flawed process. I don't think that we need to be spending uh, taxpayers' money on a referendum when we can be talking about a treaty that doesn't need to go to a referendum. Mm. It's a, a treaty can be embodied in uh, legislation and we can start, you know, a conversation with people around the country. Twenty years ago, the reconciliation movement um, talked to our people around the country. They went into communities. They spoke to black and white communities about a, a roadmap to reconciliation. It was the most comprehensive consultation this country's ever had with First People of this country. Mm. So I think that we need to revisit that. We need to go around again and we need to talk about um, treaty and what the needs are for the many nations and clans around this, this country. You know, as you mm. said, we're not one homogenous group. We have different needs and, and different wants. We've all been colonised at different uh, times in history, so our our needs will be different. And uh, I think that we need to allow a process that um, all of our people can participate in. And um, you know, if, if this country wants to legitimise um, our people as first people 
and we need to discuss a, a real treaty. Yeah. I've been sort of following the conversations on Twitter and Facebook and people keep pointing to the 1967 referendum as an example yeah. of like Australia's changing attitudes and people have been saying that could be a blueprint for um, a constitutionally enshrined voice of parliament. And it just, like it, like, it doesn't make sense because times have changed and even with the with the 1967 referendum, there are things that haven't been told to the public about how that came about and what that actually has done. That's right. And, you know, people get quite excited by the 1967 referendum. But what that did is that allowed this illegal government to have more power over us at that time. Um, so it's not something I celebrate. And I think that... You know, having a, a voice to Parliament is is the icing on the cake in terms of the ultimate power over our people, and an advisory body, um, which will be, I believe, you know, based on government's track records. It'll yeah. be captains' picks. It'll be the people that agree with the agenda, and don't rock the boat. Don't ask any questions, and. Um, you know, when you have mining companies coming on board to support a voice to parliament, you, you've got to ask yourself, yes. you know, what is this really about? Yeah, I was really shocked. I was like, oh, my God, how are all these corp- corporations coming on board? It's Yeah, mm. it, it sounded very sus. Um, okay, going forward, um, what would the broader community need to do to propel conversations about treaty? Because, um, as you've mentioned, conversations are happening um, uh, within the community, but what can we who are on the outside do to support these sort of campaigns? Well, I think that we need to reject any form of constitutional recognition. We need our allies out there to support um, that voice of rejecting any form of constitutional recognition, um, get on board with the No campaign that we're starting to organise as, as um, grassroots. And call for uh, a you know a treaty that enables all of our people to participate, including non-Aboriginal people of this nation. What do non-Aboriginal people want? Do they want to continue uh, down the road that we're we're going on, where you know our people aren't respected, or um, you know we have the poorest people in our own nation. We have the highest incarceration rates. We have the highest suicide rates. Mm. We have the highest removal of children rates. Any voice to parliament like that will not make any difference. We need to call on a a treaty that has real, um, you know, real meaning and makes real change and empowers our people. A treaty, you know, can... Um, enable us with wealth and power. We can have designated seats through a treaty process. I mean, you look at Barnaby Joyce, I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd agree with Barnaby Joyce. But I don't, I don't mind his idea yeah. of, um, you know, seats in the Senate for our people um, from each state. And that's something that can be negotiated in treaty process. That will give us far greater voice than, than any advisory body 
and we decide um, who those people are in a way that we've we've done, you know, forever. Mm. So I think, you know, what um, our allies can do is is contact their local members of parliament, um, let them know that grassroots Aboriginal people across the nation don't support any form of constitutional recognition. We want to uh, settle this unsettled country through a proper treaty process and we want everyone at the table to have these discussions. You know, Aboriginal people and non-Aboriginal people in their local communities can talk about treaty. What are the priorities for your community? Both in, you know, for for non-Aboriginal people and Aboriginal people. So I think that's the way forward, and um, I think that's what will truly give this nation a real identity mm. and bring people together. Yeah, and it's interesting because my mom and my aunties, whenever someone is racist towards them or tells them to go back to their country, they're like, "This is a black man's land." That's right. That's mm. right. And you know, we don't want we don't want to be divided, and we want to work with. Uh, non-Aboriginal people, and but we want to self-determine our own destiny and be economically empowered um, to to be able to make those decisions. At the moment, you know, we struggle every day to survive, and now we're we're having this fight um, to resist against constitutional recognition. We need. You know, we need people to come together and, and reject any, any notion of of constitutional recognition and continue down a treaty mm. path. So you say treaty. Can you um, just describe, like, a framework for treaty? Well, I think a treaty um, will be different for different people, you know, different mobs, different clans, families, nations. And that's why we do need to have these conversations in communities. But to me, a treaty is a peacemaking instrument. It's an agreement between the coloniser and, and the first people. It's a, uh, to me, it's a, you know, it's about peace. It's, it's the end to the injustices that our people face each day in this country. Mm. Um, it's the injustices that continue on our land and our water. Um, so I think, you know, treaty is is a is a mechanism to look at ways that we can live peacefully in our own country, but also benefit from, you know, the stolen wealth that's that's been happening for two hundred and thirty years. So we, we want to um, benefit from our own resources rather than, you know, mining companies and, and um, overseas interests in our land. We need to benefit from that so that we can economically empower ourselves. So a treaty is, is something that our people have been calling for, for, you know, for decades. And it's a way to settle an unsettled country. I don't think that um, there's any other way to do that. Thank you so much for appearing on Accents of Woman, Lydia. My pleasure. If you'd like to know more about treaty, sovereignty and land rights, check out the 3CR programs Fire First, hosted by Robbie Thorpe on Wednesdays at 11am, as well as the show Black and Deadly, 
which is also hosted by Robbie Thorpe on Fridays at 11am. Accent of Woman is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally by the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia.